0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Amen. Well, good morning, guys. Good to be in worship with you all, to begin our year together worshiping the Lord. Um, If we haven't met yet, my name is C.T. Eldridge, the campus pastor here, um, and look forward to continuing to lead us in worship as we open God's word together. Okay, so these two Sundays I mentioned to you guys last week are sort of uh, lost in between our Christmas sermon series um, that we covered over the last several Sundays, and then next week we're gonna be in the book of James for five, six, eight weeks, the first two chapters especially of James' letter to the church. Um, But these two Sundays um, I kind of have to play around with and do whatever I want, Um, and so I've wanted to focus for us on the important topic of church leadership. It may not be the most exciting topic to you, but hey, we just spent like three months in the Book of Romans, so um, uh, you know, uh, entertain me for a little bit. Um, this may not be exactly what you want to hear, but certainly it is something we need to hear, God's word to us on how we are to be led. And the way I've structured these two Sundays um, is around the two offices of church leadership. Last week, we looked at elder pastor overseers, the one office with three titles, elder pastor overseer. And this Sunday, we're looking at the office of deacon. So two Sundays, two messages on the two offices of church leadership, elder pastor overseer and deacon. Um, Very generally, elder pastor overseers care for the spiritual needs of the church and deacons care for the practical needs of the church. That's generally speaking how the two offices of leadership are divided. A little bit of context about this church. We have three elder pastor overseers, myself, Gary Gillum, and Jim Durbin, and then we have multiple deacons. Christina Herr oversees women's ministry, Seth Johnson men's ministry, Paul Lepore security, and then we have a few staff members who essentially function as deacons. Ben Wheatley, life group and worship, Corey Johns, kids ministry, Charlie Coburn student ministry, and Grace Ward is our church admin. But in the coming months and over the coming years, Lord willing, we will nominate more candidates for these offices of leadership, either as new ministries are started or as previous leaders transition out. And this is a nominating and vetting process that the entire church will eventually be a part of before a candidate is installed. So I wanna share with you, because you will be a part of this, especially if you're a member, I want to share with you from Scripture some teaching around these two offices. Last Sunday, Elder Pastor Overseer, and this Sunday, Deacons Today. And in order to understand deacons biblically, we're going to look at two passages of Scripture. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and then 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. So the book of Acts is written by... A man named Luke, he also wrote one of the Gospels. His sequel is called the Book of Acts, and the Book of Acts tells the narrative of the early church. And in chapter 6, we learn the origin story for how the office of deacon was created. That's Acts chapter 6 and why we're there. Then in 1 Timothy chapter 3, several decades after Acts chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is writing to his young protege in the ministry, Timothy, And Paul shares with Timothy requirements for anyone who would fill the office of deacon. So that's a little bit of context of the two passages that we're going to be looking at this morning. Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7 and then 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 8 through 13. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so the twelve apostles summoned the full number of the disciples, and the twelve apostles said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we, the apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what the apostles said pleased the whole gathering of the disciples, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. The disciples set before the apostles these seven, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And First Timothy chapter three. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things." Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the requirements to become a U.S. citizen, if you aren't naturally born a citizen, is to take a civics test. So this is a test that includes questions about the United States' history, geography, economy, and our leadership. I thought about this test this week as I was preparing for this sermon, so I went onto the Immigration Services website, and I saw that you can take a practice test. Anyone can take a practice test, For a U.S. citizenship, it's only 20 questions, multiple choice, and I am as American as it gets, so I got this, right? But to my disappointment, I missed four of the 20 questions, so I guess I am only 80% patriotic, but before you judge me, you go try it out, USCIS.gov, and we'll see how patriotic you are. But this stuck out to me. A requirement for becoming a citizen of this nation includes passing a test related to our history, geography, economy, and our leadership. Who our leaders are, how they are structured, what they do. This kind of organizational, institutional awareness is required for citizenship in the U.S. Well, maybe you don't know this, but the church is a nation as well. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the apostle refers to God's people as a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We are a nation. We are a people. We have a king. We have citizenship. We have a constitutional document. And we have under Christ leaders. We have leadership, we have structure, we have order. And in the same way that U.S. Immigration Services wants to ensure that incoming citizens have awareness about U.S. leadership, I want to ensure that the heavenly citizens of Woodside Lapeer have awareness about church leadership. What does leadership look like in the church? Who are our leaders? How do they operate? What is our structure? So last week, we talked about the first office of church leadership, that of elder, pastor, overseer, one office, three titles. And this week, we're talking about the second office of church leadership, deacons. And again, we're going to kind of be bouncing between Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy 3 to try to understand who deacons are and what they do. Who deacons are and what they do. First, we see that deacons are servant-hearted. Deacons must be servant-hearted. Now, the fact that deacons are servant-hearted is found right there in the title itself. The English word deacon is transliterating the Greek word diakonos. And diakonos translates servant or table servant or waiter even. Now the reason this exact term is chosen for the title of this office is probably because the first deacons in Acts chapter 6 that we read about were literally serving tables, serving food, distributing daily rations to the church's poor. That's the leadership task that the first group of deacons were entrusted with and so it seems that the church played off of that and permanently titled the office deacon, servant. Even though future deacons may have different jobs than waiting tables or distributing food, the office of deacon, by having that title, has been permanently marked by the requirement that its office holders are servant-hearted. You know, just think about your experience going into a restaurant. The first thing that happens when you go into a restaurant is a host greets you. And then they kindly show you the way to your table that's already cleaned, already prepared. They help you get seated. Then they share a menu with you. They ask you what you'd like to drink. They ask you if you have any questions about the menu. They ask you what you'd like to eat. They bring you everything you need. Oh, you dropped a fork? I'll get you another one. Oh, you need a refill? One moment. They are waiting on you. You, the customer, are in charge. They're waiting on you, your direction, trying to perceive your needs as the meal goes on, serving you. Even fast food restaurants. You pull up to the little microphone, and the person says, may I take your order? So just think about The person says, give me your orders. In other words, you are in charge. You deliver orders to me, and I serve you. And that's the heart of a deacon leading in the church. They are waiters. They are servants. They are deacons. It's not about them building their kingdom. It's not about them gaining attention. It's about them serving the body of Christ. It's about them attending to specific needs within the church. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus is talking to his disciples about discipleship, talking to them more broadly about what it looks like to follow him. And in verse 35, Jesus says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all. He must be servant of all. And that same word, servant, there is the same Greek word, diakonos, deacon. Now, Jesus here is not talking about the office of leadership, deacon. He's simply saying all disciples are called to serve us, called to the humility of putting others before themselves. And this is a reflection of the way Christ himself served us through dying on our behalf. In the next chapter of Mark, chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says of himself that he came not to be served. He came not to deakenao, the verbal form of deakenas. He says, I came not to be served, I came to serve by giving my life as a ransom for many. So all of us who would follow Jesus are called to selflessness and servant-heartedness. But it is imperative that those who would take the title deacon, they are to be servant-hearted. Secondly, we learn from Scripture that deacons are to be practically helpful. They are to be practically helpful So think back to that scene in Acts chapter 6. The apostles are leading the church, but a difficulty has arisen within the daily distribution of food. We don't exactly know why the church was having to make a daily distribution of food. Perhaps it was because of persecution that took place, and some of the Christians weren't being hired for jobs, and thus weren't able to provide for themselves, so there was more of an emphasis on their shared resources. We still do this today. We have a better economy than they did. We're not persecuted like they were, but we still rely on one another's shared resources. We have a compassion fund that helps uh, folks who are in need of rent or food or whatever. Well, the church had so much of this kind of ministry going on uh, in the early church. They had a daily distribution of shared resources, specifically for food. But whatever the case, there was a problem with certain people, the Hebrew Christians, getting more than their share of other Christians, Hellenists or Greek-influenced Christians. there was a lack of equity, and there was some kind of distribution, uh, discrimination with food distribution. So the apostles become aware of this situation, and then they respond like this. Luke writes in verse 2. He says, "...the twelve apostles summoned the full number of the disciples, and they said collectively," the apostles did, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And then later they go on in verse 4. Instead of serving tables, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, this might sound pretentious on the part of the apostles. Like, hey, we're the apostles. We are above serving tables. But I don't think that's true. The apostles aren't being... Instead, they're prioritizing the main things God has called them to, namely the ministry of the word and prayer. So they're not saying there's anything degrading or ignoble about serving tables. It's just that that's not what God had called them as apostles to do. So they say, hey, we need another group of leaders who can focus on the practical needs of the church in the same way that we care for the spiritual needs of the church. And thus, the office of deacon was created. Now, we don't have apostles anymore like they did in the New Testament, but there is a corollary between the role of the apostles in the book of Acts and the role of elder pastor overseers in the church today. Elder pastor overseers, the office that myself, Jim, and Gary fill, we are to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer seeking to oversee the spiritual condition of our church and shepherd us into the green pastures of God's word. That's our focus. But that doesn't mean that the church only has spiritual needs. We have many different practical needs. So, for example, we have the practical need of safety and security at our church. We need our church to be safe, especially when it comes to to children, And so for the last several years, Paul Lepore has served over that area of practical need. And you know what? I don't think a second thought about safety and security at our church. The only thing I think about it is Paul has got it taken care of. And then I move on. Not a second thought. And that's exactly how it's supposed to be. Another example of this is music. We have the practical need to be led musically in the worship of God. So every week I do meet with Ben to plan our worship services, selecting songs, putting everything in order, trying to figure out the different elements of our worship. But after that, not another thought. Ben entirely leads out, serving us by providing musical accompaniment for our songs of praise. So I thought about this as an example. I'm sure you guys can think of a time when you've been stretched thin. Perhaps it was when you were traveling over the holidays, over the river, through the woods, to grandmother's house we went. You were driving the family vehicle, but you also needed to navigate so that you would know where you're going. So you do what we all do, not supposed to do, but it's what you do. You get out your phone. You're looking at your map and you're distracted from the priority of driving your car. And then you get into all sorts of trouble. So what you need is someone to serve you with the correct navigation information so that you can keep the main thing the main thing, namely driving and not crashing. You need a partner to come alongside you in order to fulfill the varied needs of traveling, both driver and navigator. Now, this is a simplistic example, but it helps illustrate the situation here. Elder pastor overseers have got to prioritize the ministry of the word and prayer, and thus they can't be serving tables, or taking care of security, or providing musical leadership. Instead, we need this partnership of leaders carrying out the varied needs of ministry, both spiritual and practical, and that's exactly how Jesus has set things up. Deacons are to be servant-hearted. They are to be practically helpful. And finally, they are to have proven character. They are to have proven character. Let's go back to the narrative in Acts 6 and look more fully at what the apostles say about the situation and the need for leadership. Verses 2 and 3 again. And the 12 apostles summoned the full number of disciples. They said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So, notice the apostles do say that these leaders will need wisdom. In other words, they will need the leadership competency to do this job. But he also says that they need to be people of good repute. In other words, people with a good reputation. Who are full of the Spirit. In other words, if they aren't known for walking in the Spirit, if they don't have the reputation of being faithful, then they shouldn't serve as leaders in this way. They need to have proven, reputable character. And when we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and the Apostles' instruction on deacons there, that's the Apostles' entire emphasis in these verses character. So look again at 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 12. Paul writes, Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued. In other words, they must not be liars, not double-tongued. He adds, they must not be addicted to much wine. They must not be greedy for dishonest gain. So all of these things relate to character, right? They're not just to be competent to do the job. They have to have the character To back it up, verse 9, he continues, they must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, we don't normally talk like this, but this is essentially a reference to theological faithfulness. Deacons, as leaders in the church, need to hold faithfully to the teaching of Scripture. Verse 10, he continues, and let deacons also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. So again, he says, you can't just thoughtlessly throw someone into leadership just because you need to fill a seat, just because you need to get a job done. It'll come back and bite you. Instead, let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacons. He continues in verse 11. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, I, along with many other Greek experts think this verse is better translated the women deacons must be dignified and so forth as opposed to their wives. But regardless, and we can talk more about that later if you want, it's still an emphasis on character. They are dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful. And then verse 12, he says, let deacons each be the husband of one wife managing their children and their own households well. So, as he did for elder pastor overseers, Paul says that if deacons are going to lead in the household of God, then they need to have proven themselves as leaders in their homes first. They need to have proven themselves in this way. Deacons must have proven character. And how many times has this been proven true for us, whether in church or in broader society? There's a highly skilled sports coach, there's a powerfully effective politician. There's a brilliant entertainment performer, perfectly competent to do their job with excellence, but their character is lacking and it ruins the whole thing. So of course we want gifted leaders. Of course we want people who can get the job done, but the apostle here is repeatedly stressing that when it comes to leadership, Character over competence all day long. I don't care how gifted you are, how impactful you are, it all comes crashing down if you don't have the requisite character to back it up. In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with power. In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with authority, with leadership, with influence. The problem is when those things are put in the wrong hands. And so Jesus has made it perfectly clear through his apostles, leaders, in this case deacons, must have proven character. So citizens of heaven, you who have trusted Christ and belong to his kingdom. My hope is that these two messages on church leadership have been helpful for at least orienting you to the leadership structure that Jesus put in place for his people. There's so much more that we could say, but hopefully these sermons have given you at least a framework so that you can pass the 20 questions multiple choice kind of thing. Hopefully they've given you something of a framework for who our leaders are and how they lead us. We're cared for spiritually and were cared for practically by elder pastor, overseers, and deacons, respectively. And having reflected on these things the last couple of Sundays, it's a perfect time for us to share in the Lord's Supper together, communion. Because yes, we have leaders in the church, but ultimately Jesus is our senior pastor. First Peter chapter 2, verse 25 says that Jesus is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. He is our Lord and he is our leader. And he shows us how to lead. And it's not by hogging all of the glory for ourselves. It's not by clinging to all the power we possibly can. No, true leadership happens through selfless service, through sacrificial love, through humbly putting others Before ourselves. And that's exactly what Jesus did his entire life and most clearly in his death. His body was broken. His blood was spilled in order that we, his wandering sheep, might secure our place back in his flock. His body was broken. His blood was shed so that we, who were strangers and aliens, may become citizens of heaven and secure our place in God's kingdom. So if that's you, if you are trusting in Jesus' death on behalf of broken sinners like me and you, then this meal is for you. Let's eat and drink to the glory of our Savior King. But if that's not you, if you're not trusting in Christ, then I encourage you not to take part in the bread and cup and instead use this time to ask yourself, who is a more compelling leader than Jesus? If you're not trusting in Jesus this morning, I encourage you to use this time to reflect on that question. Who is a more compelling leader than Jesus? Where will I find a more loving, gracious, powerful leader than Jesus? He is full of of glory and power, the greatest leader ever. And he is full of humility and selflessness, the greatest servant ever. Who else is like Jesus? Our Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for Jesus' broken body And for his shed blood, securing our place amongst your people, securing our place in your family. Father, we are not marked by a pretty flag, we are not marked by a piece of paper certifying our citizenship, we are marked by the cross. It is only through Jesus' act of selflessness that we could find our place back in relationship with you and amongst your people. So God, we proudly, as Paul said, proclaim the Lord's death as we eat and as we drink. And Father, I pray that these symbols wouldn't just be food and drink that we physically ingest but may it be food and drink that nourishes our souls and forms us more and more into the image of Christ, him who is our Lord and him who served us. Father, we sing this final song as a prayer, and we ask that you would hear us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together.